Hi, this is Tia Sirkar. I play Sabine Wren on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Twin Suns Transmission. Of course, it ends where it began. A desert planet with twin suns. Hey, my name is Taylor Gray, and I play Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Twin Suns Transmission. Here's where the fun begins. Let's make this a bit more interesting. You've taken your first step into a larger world. The garbage hole down! Nothing will stand in our way. May the force be with us. Hello and welcome to our next episode of the Twin Sons Outpost Book Club. My name is Eric Pfeiffer and I am joined as always by Amanda DeFonzo. Hey. And Jesse Sanfilippo. Hey guys. For the month of October, we went back to early days of the Star Wars stories and we just read um, in... September we read Black Spire Outpost, which obviously takes place after episode 6, and now here we are with Dooku Jedi Lost, which is actually, to my knowledge, the very first book in Star Wars canon timeline. So we take a huge jump back to early days of the Jedi, which is really cool to see, and we're going to be talking about Dooku Jedi Lost for the month of October. So I guess, Jesse, we'll start with you couple of things I want you to touch on actually is because you were the only one of out of the three of us here tonight that have uh, essentially listened to this versus reading the book so what can you tell us about not only the book and your thoughts on that but like what it was like to listen to it yeah so it was really cool and really different from a regular audiobook you know where they're just reading you know exactly what is written on the page. It's I'm I'd be really interested to look at your guys's, you know, paper copies because so much of how I understood what was going on for me had a lot to do with like the sounds and the mm-hmm. sound effects. So I'm sure maybe you guys had like little footnotes or something that said like lightsaber ignites or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cuz there's no one being like and then they started to duel. It's just like you like just heard lightsabers yeah like clashing and like you just could tell a fight was going on which was really really neat it took me like a while to kind of like adjust to it because i think i had difficulty like because you know when it's a book there's like uh always a narrator that's really like describing you know all of the scenes and like what everybody looks like and i just felt like there wasn't as much of that in this because it's just like a play that was meant for you to hear you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also heard that there was a, an entire voice cast, too. Like, everybody was voiced yes. by somebody else. Every single character was, yeah, a completely a different voice actor, and everybody sounded really amazing. And they even kind of, like, everybody had, like, pretty much their exact voice. Any known characters that had, you know, speaking roles in a Star Wars movie or a show had their, like, almost exact voice. And then... Dooku's voice changed a little bit. I feel like maybe to make him more like relatable <laughs> and not seem so like dark sidey maybe for the whole beginning of the story. So I well, thought he that was, was also really younger too. I wonder if that's part of it. Like, right. Because he was 12 years old when we first see him. So maybe they just. Yeah. And that voice actor did like a really good job of like 
like changing his voice from like young to adult Dooku, mm-hmm. which was cool. But yeah, it was really interesting, really different. I don't know if I liked it more than it, than just reading a normal audiobook, just because you lose a lot of the descriptions. And I found myself kind of like losing, you know, where or when I was at in the story. And I think that could just be because I listen to it when I'm driving. So it's not as easy to concentrate sometimes. But it was like listening to like an old timey, like audio, like radio drama, which was really cool. I felt like I was like, back in time on my grandma's like living room or something like listening to an audio radio drama so i don't know it was really different so like they'll say it's about a year later and dooku's in his 60s like do you get that no okay huh (laughs) i want that (laughs) (laughs) we got that like, like i like i i feel like was it did they say that at one point because we know exactly, like, essentially, how old Dooku is throughout this book. Because I'll be like, like okay, Dooku, yeah, Dooku's 12 now, so on and so forth. Or like, okay, oh. it's been a year later, or now Dooku's in his 50s, or now Dooku's where we know he is, like, where we're used to seeing him. Or like, they'll be like, here's what the atmosphere is like. It's essentially like what we see in the prequels. Like, they'll, they'll tell you exactly what the wow. atmosphere is like, or like how old Dooku is, or whatever. No, see, I feel like I lost so much of that, which is weird because it was made, you know, for Audible. It was made for audio. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So I will admit that there were many times where I had to really, like, refocus and re-listen and be like, where am I? Like, when am I? Oh, okay. Like, I feel like there was, like, a couple times where they might have told me that we jumped, you know, back or forth in time. But most of the time, it was just back and forth, back and forth. And... To be honest, what I really wish they would have done a little bit better with is the chapters, because, you know, they're called chapters on yeah. Audible. You guys had scenes, right, in a book. Yep. So, and we had, and they never lined Hold on. We had six parts, 135 scenes. And I'm sure there wasn't yeah. 135 chapters. No, so. there was 38 or something like that. Which was, it was difficult book club wise to like, you know, to figure out where you guys were versus where I was, but it was fine. Like I was able to just kind of listen based off of like where your questions would be and be like, okay, like I'm, I'm ready to answer this discussion question, Mm -hmm. but it just, and I could also tell like midway through chapters that like one scene was ending and another scene was starting, but it never said anything. It would literally just be all of a sudden I'm somewhere else and someone else is talking. Like Ventress would be narrating <laughs> and then it would just be Jenza. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. was fine. Like I got it. Like it didn't bother me too much. But like just I think reading along with you guys, I don't know if I would have been as bothered by it if I wasn't reading, you know, part of a book club alongside people who are, you know, reading just straight from the books or the, the screenplay, I guess, or whatever yeah. it would be called. So I don't know if I would have noticed it too much beyond that. But it was kind of like... It was hard to break it all down for everyone and to make it work because those that were listening to the audiobooks, there's no way for us to be able to go through the whole book on Audible and in the book and do the breakdowns equally and then have you guys know where they're at because they don't tell you when it's a new scene. Right, and that's just like an Audible issue. Like, Audible's not always great with getting the even just general chapters in a general book to line up mm-hmm. sometimes 
that gets fudged up a little bit. But this one, like, far more so. Maybe that's why, though. There's, like, 138 scenes. Maybe Audible thought that would be, like, really overwhelming to, like, have to, like, scroll through or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Do Who knows? Audible? <laughs> well, we'll go with you, Amanda, now. So we just talked with Jesse a little bit about what it was like listening to the audiobook. But now let's go to you. And this is something that is new to us with the book club, a book that is written like a play. I mean, we literally have the beginning of the book have a list of all of the characters that are in the book very much so like a shakespearean like you it know was like any other script that you yeah. pick up so it had all of the characters listed from major to minor and it was yeah it was really very much like a play script yeah and i mean what was it like for you to kind of read that as in you know being in the star wars universe i mean for me it was a little bit strange but it definitely made the book go by faster this book actually had 458 pages but the pages went by pretty quick and it it seemed to go by pretty fast i read the last 200 pages (laughs) right before we recorded tonight so um (laughs) That, for me, is like a miracle. Yeah. Not the miracle, the everything before that. (laughs) (laughs) I really, I enjoyed how it was written. I enjoyed that it was written as a screenplay and, or as an audio play, I guess. And for me, I really liked that everything was so conversational while I was reading it. It made it paced and flow and... I feel like it kept me more in the moment of what was going on rather than having all this back noise. I just got to focus on the interpersonal relationships that were going on between the characters. So I particularly really enjoyed that. And I used to read plays when, you know, when I was a dweeby high schooler. So (laughs) yeah, it was a good time for me. I have a question for you guys. So there's certain points where, like Ventress is like reading Dooku's journal out loud. Mm-hmm. Does it tell you guys that that's like Ventress's voice? Yeah. Or is it just tell it'll say the, okay. it'll say like Ventress colon narration. narration. So you know that she's okay. like narrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And it also kind of subsidizes the inner monologue between Ventress and Kyneric too. So we do get that. You know, we're stepping aside and she's in her head right now. It's not a real life conversation happening. And there were also like a lot of jumbled like voices in a few different parts of this book, like where, you know, there's a lot of people talking at once and story wise, no one's supposed to really understand everything that's being said. You know, just like all those dark side moments where there's just voices, voices, voices. Um, are you Do you guys about... get? Like, yeah, we know exactly who said all of them. You are know you... exactly who said yeah. everything. Yeah. Are you talking yeah. about when, cool. when Dooku's in with the uh, priestesses when he gets abducted with Lean and Sipho? Yeah, when they're like getting like, you and know. in that cave? Yeah, they're getting like surrounded yeah. and sunken in by the moss. You know, for me, mm-hmm. it's all those voices are kind of happening at the same time. They make a few of them a little bit more prominent and then they just kind of like all just kind of happen at the same time and you're like oh my gosh I I wonder if you know you guys have the exact outline of everything everyone they explain that it's a crescendo of voices starting to come together especially at the end when it does get overwhelming on the on what would I assume would be happening on the audiobook um but they label every individual sentence 
per the person who's saying it. So we do get that differentiation um, between characters, and I like that. Yeah, I'd be interested to take a look at that. Well, let's talk a little bit about the book itself versus how it was written or the way that it was presented to us in audiobook. So to me, I loved this. It gave us so much info on not only Dooku and Ventress, but the Jedi as a whole. We got a lot of things that really opened my eyes on the Jedi. One of those things was the way that they selected Padawans by having a tournament. Like, I don't know if you guys thought that that was anything interesting to you, but for me, it was really cool and how that changes all the time. Sometimes they're blindfolded. Sometimes it's like on some weird, unstable platform or or environment. So I thought it was really cool how Yoda selected Dooku and how Dooku in turn selected Qui-Gon and all that stuff. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And I really just never would have thought about it the other way around too how like the padawans are kind of idolizing these masters and like they already have someone in their head that they're like hoping to get even though it doesn't always work out that way i thought that was really interesting Mm -hmm. i liked how it kind of tested their standing not only in combat but also emotionally trying to detach from who they think that they should be with and committing to the master that chooses them Yeah. Now we also see in the Clone Wars TV show that there are characters like Master Bala Rapal, who is the keeper of the Kyber Crystal that has the name of all of the essentially future younglings on them. But in this book, we find out that the Jedi actually have a term for characters or uh, people within the order that were literally tasked with finding force sensitive infants. And these are called Seekers which I feel is kind of interesting because to me, this book had a lot of Harry Potter-esque scenes in it, including the uh, the Bogan collection scenes where Sifo and Dooku actually break into the Bogan collection, sort of having to sneak into, quote-unquote, the restricted section, like in Harry <laughs> Potter. I kind of literally thinking the same thing. Yeah. That makes three of us. Yeah. <laughs> What did you guys think of, you know, not only like the the Bogan collection area, but like the Seeker term and everything that we get with the Jedi in this? I'm kind of obsessed with the Bogan collection. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually on Twitter tweeting about whatever and about the book. And I was like, hey, Kevin Scott, I really just want to go into the Bogan collection. That's like all I can think about reading this book is that I want to go and I want to go see all the stuff. Just being like, hey, can we get a Bogan book? And I'm not talking like I don't I don't need a novel. I just need like a little picture filled dictionary type deal or encyclopedia with little descriptions of all the stuff in the Bogan library. <laughs> yeah, I agree on that totally. But it like also made me really kind of question the Jedi, because, yep. you know, mm-hmm. the farther on we go and, you know, just the Skywalker saga alone, you, you see them starting to recognize their own failures and question themselves and, you know, mm-hmm. everything like that. The, this Bogan collection, the fact that it just gets locked away, there's all these dark objects that, you know, obviously Lean really wants to study and thinks would be beneficial, but she seems to be one of the only ones. And yeah. that's just, just seems like such like an, 
like an oversight. Like it's just so it's it's surprising. I mean, even still knowing that that's kind of always how they've been, they they just focus on the here and now. But it just seems just very weird that they would have all these resources and means to study and prevent, and they just choose not to look into it. It's like they are like afraid. Yeah, they sweep a lot of things under the rug just because they don't want to deal with it. And what I'm wondering is, with all of these dangerous artifacts. What happens to them? Whose hands do they fall into? Because, you know, we know that the temple falls. So does that mean that Sidious has the Bogan collection hanging out somewhere? Or Most likely. (laughs) Is that what's happening here? And if so, oh gosh. Like... Or did it just get, like, scattered, like, right back into the universe? Yeah, like, it could have all gotten stolen. It could end up in uh, Savvy's. Savvy's, yeah. yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So here's my thing, you know, this book seemed to make me like scratch my head a little bit, only at a couple parts though. This was one of them, the Bogan Collection. So we have the Jedi and I get why they have the archives. The archives are there for the Jedi to learn, to study, to become greater Jedi, right? So you have the Bogan Collection, which really no one's really allowed to go in there i mean maybe if you were like a jedi master sure you could trot in there and find some stuff but it doesn't really seem like they do that all that much at least that's the way that i took it yoda actually says that the sith holocron was the only sith relic to survive the war he tells that to the initiates but then we find out that there are a bunch of other forbidden artifacts in there there are lightsabers there are journals there are a whole bunch of other things from other, you know, dark side users. So to me, that almost seems like they refer to it as a collection. And by definition, like a collection is a possession. And that's something like an attachment that's forbidden to Jedi. So it's kind of interesting that they have a whole separate Mm -hmm. area dedicated to artifacts and things that they're not really even supposed to have. And then also Lean, right? She has multiple convoys throughout this book, and it's interesting that she would be allowed to have a pet because a pet is also sort of like an attachment despite her giving ownership essentially to Dooku over her second one. So I, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Well, and on the definition of a collection, the Bogan Collection Collections are curated and sought after, or at least the items in them are. So the Jedi are, at this point, going out of their way to hunt down and curate these items for their collection. I almost, I the way I thought of it was that it was just kind of like, like objects that are found or like people are sent, you know, to go find that they know are dangerous and that they just don't trust in the hands of anyone else and they just get locked away. But they to keep like, them. They don't destroy these dangerous objects. They keep them in a collection, which means that they're caring for these things to some extent. Well, they, they, yeah, they don't seem to want to actually deal with anything. You know, whether it's a prophecy, a premonition, a dark object, yep. Even just, I kind of went back into the Clone Wars and rewatched. Um, I believe it's called the Lost One, where they go back and they start, you know, investigating the death of Sifo-Dyas. It's yeah. from the, yeah. it's from the, um, the Lost Missions. Yep. And that's when they find out that that Dooku basically made the clone army for for them. Mm-hmm. And 
like Yoda literally literally is like we 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 know the clones now we trust them like don't tell anyone literally he's straight up told the council sweep this under the rug tell no one we just have to keep going like we're going mm-hmm. like he did nothing about it like they just don't deal with things <laughs> they just want to see what how the path goes and just hope for the best they're not very proactive in their own success here at this point i mean no. <laughs> They're just kind of letting stuff happen. <laughs> and that's the same thing that we get in this book with Sifo-Dyas having the visions and having, you know, mm-hmm. the premonition of the storm destroying the the proto-branch. Is that what it's called? Proto-branch? That's what it sounded like to me. In yeah. The and the council's like, no, we're fine. We're good. And same thing it's with Serena. Like, it's, it's fine. It, it's so strange how you consider yourself keepers of the peace and yet when one of your most promising students granted sifo is not you know dooku or anakin or anybody like that mm-hmm. but still like you have a jedi and you know that these jedi have abilities to potentially see the future or have visions and you're like yeah that future could be you know taken many ways so we'll just see what happens you know, like, it's just really strange that Yoda would do that. So I think it, it really, this book really opens your eyes to the Jedi and kind of makes you sympathize with not only Dooku, but also Anakin who and Qui-Gon, you know, some of these Jedi that sort of rebel a little bit against the Council. Well, and going back to Sifo-Dyas, they make it seem like he would almost be penalized if they knew the extent of his visions. They were saying that Lean is at this point, or at least towards the end of the book, is more or less his keeper because he can't... A, he he has some sensory stuff now because it's so overwhelming with the visions and the amount of them that he's getting, but also that they don't want the council to necessarily know just how much he's seeing because he'll be penalized it'll be dangerous to for him because of the council or at least that's what i was getting from it so what's the why would the council be penalizing one of their own it says in this book that sifo dias laughs as the tirataka sort of bursts into the air and that this confirms that his sanity is now fractured forever so he's like insane he just lost it that was another weird thing that confused me because in I literally I just watched this like tonight to prepare for this podcast because I wanted to see any tidbits from that episode of from the last missions of the Clone Wars where they talk about Sifo Dyas. They mention that he ends up on the council. That he's like a council member. But in the end of this book, he's like a madman. Yeah. So I know they discussed saying that, you know, he's been, Lean has been basically hiding him from the council all this time. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, Dooku tells her to take him to the council. So maybe there's some point where they're able to help him move past it and actually be able to be a more functioning yeah. Jedi person in general. Well, they refer to him as having a stutter in this book, but mm-hmm. he. I mean, granted, it's not actually him when Yoda goes to Moraband and sees him there, but he doesn't have a stutter there, you know? So I think there's, I, I, I don't know exactly, like, how many years this is before episode one or, or whatever, but I think there's a lot of time to sort of have things change. And speaking of the council, 
I thought it was very interesting because we get a little bit of a hint, like a wink from Claudia Gray with Master and Apprentice that like, hey, um, Dooku might have been on the council. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. did I read that right? <laughs> did I? Hold on a second. And then in this book, we get a confirmation that Dooku was indeed on the Jedi Council, which I think was absolutely incredible. And the comparisons mm-hmm. and the continuity between Dooku Jedi Lost and Master and Apprentice, I think, were phenomenal. What did you guys think of that? I thought it was amazing. And not just because he was on the council, but because he was essentially the council's mouthpiece in the Senate. Mm-hmm. I mean... Even though they didn't really want him to do the speeches that he did. No, but he, it was completely foreshadowing his role as the leader of the Separatists, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, I was shocked that that was even something they, like, let him do. Like, who who comes to the Jedi, I guess, and asks them to speak on the behalf of politics? Mm-hmm. I don't know, I wonder if that's just something he got involved in just out of his own interests. That was well, surprising to me. If you think about it, in Season 3 of The Clone Wars, um, the episode where Padme and Ahsoka go to Raxus and they meet up with Mina Von Terry, and then mm-hmm. they sort of uh, develop these peace talks uh, with an attempt to sort of essentially stop the war. Dooku is the leader of the Separatist Senate. I mean, he is the one that's running the vote on, I don't know if it was Sereno or what planet it was. I believe it was with the Separatists. So he sort of is taking that political role, and that's how they refer to him in Episode 2. Mace Windu refers to him as a political idealist, not a murderer. That's why they think he's not behind the assassination attempt on Padme. So... I don't know. I think there, there's a ton to be taken away from this book. And Dooku, one of the most mysterious characters in all of Star Wars, I feel like we really get a ton of information on him in this mm-hmm. book, which is awesome. So, what did you guys think of Rail Avaros and getting him back in again? I loved it. I was so happy to see him again. It's like seeing an old friend. <laughs> yeah, and it's like the it was the exact same voice from the audiobooks, which was really extra cool for me. So that was, it was cool to see him, you know, having more of a relationship with Dooku. I like yeah. having him back. Yeah. A little bit more of a brotherhood as they're older and... Right. I enjoyed it. And I would recommend if, if you've read both of the books or are interested in getting a little bit more continuity between the two, after you listen to this podcast, go back and listen to our Master and Apprentice podcast uh, about that book because I think... There's a lot of really cool comparisons that can be made with mm-hmm. uh, some of the characters. Yeah. And especially just the way they talk about prophecy between those two books and yeah. how, you know, in the end, Qui-Gon kind of embraces prophecy and Master and Apprentice. But in this one, they're still, you know, so fearful of it. And the crazy thing is, I wrote it down too. So at one point, Lean says that she, the Sith will return and Yoda's like, no. Not really. They're not coming back. And then she's like, we should, you know, look at the prophecies. And Yoda's like, nah, no, nah, we're good. That leads to the dark side. You know, so it's just interesting how Dooku so badly wanted to be the apprentice of Lean. And here we have Yoda, who is so totally opposite from Dooku. And yet Dooku, we see working with Lean as time goes on and, and sifo and everything. And it just kind of everything sort of just blows up. So <laughs> what if what if Dooku did work under Lean? Would that make things a lot worse? I think it would have. Yeah. 
because just from the few times, you know, he kind of went on her little adventures, you know, into the realms of the dark side, that mm-hmm. affected him. Like the whole rest of his Jedi career, mm-hmm. he wore those bandages on his arm and said that, you know, uh, kind of like chant thing that kept him tied to the light. Like he was, he was constantly doing that ever since that encounter that he had with the dark side mm-hmm. um, when he was with Lean and Sifo. So I just feel like he would have just have encountered that earlier on. And I mean, he's obviously very susceptible to the dark side because even Sifo, who struggled so, so much with his premonitions, he still wasn't ever tempted by the dark side like Dooku was, I feel like. Yeah, Dooku had a lot of fear. I think that was his weakness with the dark side. I feel like a lot of people really have that breaking point when... Anakin realizes that the only thing that can save his wife is to turn to the dark side so he can learn new powers. I mean, we see him in the council chamber. He's crying. He's unhappy, but he knows what he has to do to save the woman that he loves and essentially his unborn baby. And then we go to this book and we see Dooku and it's it's his brother that really sends him over the edge, yeah. you know, and Sifo-Dyas. Yeah, and that yeah. you know we see we see Dooku using the lightning, and it's like this is something that I've I've controlled for years, but yeah. he kind of was just like I'm not going to control it anymore. Like I'm ready to embrace this, well, you know. It wasn't only using the lightning; it was also corrupting the beast mm-hmm. against its will in his rage. Because he was linked up with um, the Tirataka. The Tirataka, yeah. yeah. I feel like in these books, though, the dark side becomes so much more relatable than it yeah. ever was. Because mm-hmm. in the movies, they make it seem like they, they, you know, the Jedi always talk about it as being like easy and like a temptation, and and you know, you're only good if you if you don't do it. But like in these books, they really get you to like understand like why people do it. And it's like, yeah, if yeah. I was in that situation and I had all this like like actual power to just make whatever I thought was the right thing happen in that moment happen, I'd do it too. If yeah. I thought I was like saving See, exactly. an entire planet. See, you guys would be dark siders. I know you would. <laughs> I, would. I totally they really would. play off of your empathy in this book. That's for sure. Oh, and what about the Jedi love child? Yeah, that came out of nowhere. Because I, like, that's been itching the back of my brain. I'm like, wait, Anakin wasn't the first one to break the rules like that? I mean, I know, we know that Rail had extracurricular activities, but this was like a fully fledged child that she brought onto the, into the Jedi temple. From Braylon, right? Yeah. 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 Well, here's the thing. I mean, we get we get a lot with Braylon. I mean, Braylon was kind of just like a brash character from the beginning. And we also found out, I wrote it in my notes too, back in the day, Braylon also was a character that broke into the Bogan collection. So, tisk tisk. Yeah. At the same time, they were so forgiving with her in that situation. I I was very surprised that she got to, like, remain a Jedi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, she became an archive keeper or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Or something? She worked in the archives? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess is that, like, a punishment? I don't know. 
<laughs> well, think about what they do with Ahsoka, right? When she gets her lightsaber stolen and she just kind of is... Uh, ah, no, she doesn't get her lightsaber stolen. Sorry, that's my bad. No, she does. Yeah, she gets her lightsaber she stolen. And then her punishment is to work with Master Sanube, who's also in this book, in the archives. Yeah. So I think it's pretty cool, all the connections that they're making to the Clone Wars show. Let's talk about some of the other characters, some of the new characters that we get in this book. Um, Jenza, for one. Let's talk about Jenza a little bit. What do you guys think of Dooku's sister? I mean, Dooku has a family, and that's like what we talked about before. It's mm-hmm. it's so much, you relate so much to these characters now that you know more about them, and you get books, and you get backstory. Dooku had a family, and his dad literally, when he found out what Dooku was, left him outside on the porch, like, without any clothes and without anything. Chucked him out. To essentially be picked up by this group of Force users and wizards, you know, <laughs> that's that's pretty messed up. It's pretty messed up. But we found out that there's a sort of a connection between Jenza and Dooku. What do you guys think of Jenza? I feel so bad for Jenza. I feel like she just kind of got the stink end of the stick the whole book through. I mean, her dad was obviously not a very kind human. Her brother was controlling and cruel. Mm -hmm. Her planet just got totally messed up, and she's trying to, you know, pull, you know, grab all these strings of an unraveling cloth and, you know, pull them back together, and she can't. Yeah, I just also, though, don't, like, I feel very bad for her, and I, I, she just, you know, lost every single person who had any kind of importance, whether they were, Mm -hmm. you know, bad people or good people in her life. She just lost everybody one at a time, all the way down to Dooku, and, but at the same, at the same time, though, like, she's an heir to Sereno. Like, why, like, if she felt, you know, a certain way about things, why didn't she, like, step up and be the leader why let Dooku do it why I not I think that she just kept getting overshadowed and I think yeah that his domineering personality just kind of placated been dominated her. Yeah. her whole life yeah yeah I mean it was either she that's her story pretty much her dad dominated the family then her brother dominated the family and then you know Dooku came in and saved the day in a very scary kind of way and then he's like, oh, by the way, I'm staying. Let's go home to my castle. What? Right. <laughs> Wait, you're home? I'm so, I'm, okay. I'm wondering right. if it was just a, um, a male-female thing on Sereno. Because maybe. the brother, Ramil, is that how you say his name? Ramil, maybe? It was, yeah, Ramil in the audiobook. Ramil, okay. So he basically, and even the Count, Gora, made a massive joke about the wife's death about his mom's death you know like the funeral was just like an inconvenience so i don't know i wonder if it's a male female thing or or what it could be i i felt like that funeral thing was just like his dad just being a total jerk i yeah. don't but it could still be like like just like on naboo like only women like young, young sixteen-year-old women <laughs> rule on Naboo, so it could just be the opposite on Sereno. Yeah. What did you guys think of the forty-eighth Dragonfire race? So it was kind of like a pod race, it seemed like to me, which I thought was kind of interesting because we get Qui Gon 
sort of sitting in the hover pod watching this as it's going on and then later on in episode one we hear him talking to anakin about pod racing on different planets um which i thought was pretty cool um so what'd you guys think of like the whole racing scene this reminded me of like a twist like a like a mesh between pod racing and the form of racing that we see in resistance where they're actually going through like rings in the air Mm -hmm. i felt like this was like a mix between those two styles yeah, I agree. And of course, you know, anytime you go onto either Coruscant where there are lower levels or casinos or gangsters, you're always going to get the people betting on the races and things like that. So it was kind of uh, crazy to see how that whole thing played out with the mobsters and stuff. Let's talk a little bit about Sifo Dias. So we don't really know too much about him, right? We know that he was sort of the the scapegoat i guess i don't know if that's the right word for the um the clone army he essentially we see in the lost missions that we know that dooku sort of became sifo-dyas to place this order for the clone army knowing that sifo-dyas had died prior to essentially the order being placed so it's kind of interesting that that happened um but we see a little bit more and it's almost it seemed like to me i don't know if you guys felt the same way but sifo Dias was sort of an enabler at the beginning of the book and he was the one it was like his idea to go to the bogan collection so he sort of urged dooku to break the rules a little bit oh a hundred percent i think he's totally an instigator and they're again drawing a harry potter thread there but very ron and harry just kind of get or i would even go one step further and say it's more james and serious yeah hey this seems like a really bad idea you want to go do it because it'll be fun i bet if we don't die yeah all right let's go (laughs) it's just funny too like how much i mean dooku just looks like he's like for a lack of a better term like he's always looked like the guy that's like just got a like a stick up his butt you know and like and like everything who put the sticks up his butt i know <laughs> so cruel um but yeah like so i just thought it was funny that that all kind of started in his childhood and he's just always just kind of been that like rule follower which makes it a little bit more surprising where his story kind of turns I don't know. I really enjoyed it. And I think that Sifo, he brought out the best in Dooku in a lot of a lot of their interactions. He believed in Dooku. Yeah. And I know they're not supposed to have attachments, but I think that he was a healthy attachment um, for Dooku to have. And he kind of kept Dooku's eyes open a little bit, I think. Well, I just, I feel like Dooku can be very singular and very tunneled, and Saifo just kind of was like, lighten up. Just sit back and relax. Let's see what right. happens. And when it comes to attachments, I mean, the Jedi are always very, you know, adamant about not forming any attachments. But it's just, you can see it all the time. Even when, you know, various Jedi don't realize they're doing it. Like, even... Barris and Ahsoka are really good friends. Anakin mm-hmm. and Obi-Wan have an attachment for sure, even though they don't like to think that they do. Um, oh, yeah. You know, there's it's just seen time and time again, but the only ones that really rid themselves fully of attachments are the Sith. Because as soon as Palpatine, you know, came into Dooku's life, he ended 
every single attachment from mm-hmm. Sifo to his he tried sister. to do in Yoda, but he couldn't. But his sister, <laughs> everyone. Ventress, when she became inconvenient. Right. He tried there as well. Like, that's, you know, that, those are the, really the only ones that are actually forcing themselves to get rid of attachments. So that's just kind of interesting how that kind of reflects kind of backwards between the yeah. Jedi and the Sith. I agree. And I think um, the Jedi, as much as they preach not having attachments, are constantly putting themselves and their Padawans and their younglings in positions to form attachments with one another. And they are pairing them up all the time. Like, what what do they think is going to happen? Yeah. Right. I think to me the funniest thing in this book was the relationship between Dooku and Sifo-Dyas. Um, everything was a joke between them. It was kind of like Spider-Man fighting off his villains where he had those, like, <laughs> snappy quips where, like, Sifo would be in the tank and he'd be like, well, how do I know when the time's right? And then an explosion happens and he's like, oh, uh, I was able to figure it out. Thanks, though. <laughs> you know, like... Or, you know, Dooku being like, yeah, um, sifo is basically the only one in the whole world that can get choked by Bacta, like, or drown in Bacta or whatever, like, yeah. things just, it was, it was, it was a joke between them. It, it really reminded me of Anakin and Obi-Wan. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to say. They had, like, that exact same, just, like, friendship, that, like, deep bond that they just, like, knew each other and could bounce back off, back and forth off each other constantly. Which really makes the creation of the clone army that much worse. I know. It makes it that much sadder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about Ventress. So we get this book, and it's pretty much from the point of view of Dooku, and it's really relaying his story. But Ventress, she's haunted by Kyneric, her former master. She's constantly conflicted between listening to him versus Dooku, who's right, who's wrong, who's real, who's not. And at the end of the book, we finally see that she makes that decision, essentially sealing the deal to be, you know, making that decision for Dooku. Kyneric leaves and he's not there anymore. Even when she sort of like reaches out and asks for him, he's not there. There's no answer. But in the final sentences of the book, Ventress really exclaims that she feels trapped. She made her choice. She feels trapped. She's essentially doing Dooku's will and Ventress in my opinion has one of the saddest stories in all of Star Wars so how do you guys think and what does this book do to you as far as the way that you view Ventress I mean I've I've loved Ventress for quite some time now and especially seeing her in um oh I'm losing the name of it Dark Disciple Mm -hmm. especially seeing reading about her in Dark Disciple that really kind of was a turning point for me and how I felt about her so seeing her really becoming Dooku's pawn in this one knowing what's going to happen was a little bit hard and seeing him bid her to do his dirty work and do the the horrible thing that he wasn't capable necessarily of doing himself maybe because of attachment um and having her murder his sister for him with him there i uh, that that was really hard for me and i i also thought the ending was a little bit confusing too um because she feels trapped but then her last word is i am free yeah her that last confused sentence. that confused me a lot so i, I yeah <laughs> go ahead 
I'm wondering if that refers to Kai Narek, though. Like, of Kai, Kai, she's free of him? Yeah. Oh. Oh, like, she, he was the only Because he was thing literally, like, her haunting back. her. Like, he would show up and he would literally be like, you know, this is what you should do. Don't listen mm-hmm. to him. That makes sense. Especially, you know, she's at the height of her evil right now. And I think it's kind of, it was kind of difficult for me to go back and rem- think of her that way because of things like you've said. We've watched her, you know, grow into helping Ahsoka in the Clone Wars to helping the Jedi and Dark Disciple and forming a relationship mm-hmm. with Quinlan Voss. Like, all of that just makes you, like, sympathize with her so much and love her so much and just totally you know be on her side so it's i think it's kind of it was kind of difficult for me and that's why i got confused was to go back and be like we are at the height of evil like yes her like beginning story is sad but like as much as you want her to like go with kai mm-hmm. like that's just not gonna it's happen not, she's yeah that's not her story yeah. Yeah. um also what was what i'm still chewing on was when she was conflicted between both dooku and kai in her head and um, Dooku was placing images of Kai killing her first master when he had said that um, it was like pirates or something that killed him. Yeah, so that essentially... Like, what happened? So was that just like Dooku playing a game with her or did Kai actually lie to her? Like, I need answers here. <laughs> so we get a little... I want to I want to watch this again, but if you watch Clone Wars season 3 in the episode where basically Sidious comes to Dooku on Sereno and says, "You're training Ventress, you're training your assassin to essentially be an apprentice and I don't like it. Get rid of her. Eliminate her." And Dooku's like, "But she sort of has, you know, uh, proved to be beneficial." And Sidious is like, I said eliminate her, and so then they eliminate Ventress. So she goes back to Dathomir, and they sort of go into a little bit about the past of Ventress, and we see Kyneric, and we see the pirates, and we see all this stuff happen. So when we first see Ventress, she's a very small child, and she gets her master, quote-unquote master, killed, this guy named Halstead, the pirate who took Ventress from Dathomir and raised her as his own. And then after he dies... Kyneric takes her and trains her as a Jedi. So it's not clear, at least from what I remember, I need to, like I said, I need to go back and watch. It's not clear how Halstead dies. To me, from what my brain is telling me, we see him get shot. But that's what Kyneric tells Ventress. Mm-hmm. And it could right. have been a lightsaber hole instead of from a the blaster back or, hole. Yeah. And also. What I gathered was that Kai never went back to the Jedi Temple, so does that mean he trained Ventress outside of the temple and yeah. just, like, I'm... took it upon himself and it wasn't really a formal training? Yeah, because she never, she's never been to the temple. So she was never a Padawan. No. At least really. not, you know. Not in a traditional real, sense. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I, I also took that whole thing, that whole inner conversation with, you know, Ventress and Dooku and Kai, that was all in Ventress's head. Yeah. And Dooku knew Kai was there because he's in Ventress's head. So he could also just be taking her memories that she has and twisting them. Because mm-hmm. there's really no way for him to know 
who Kai killed or didn't kill or how it went down. He wasn't there. And if she didn't see the truth, then there's no way for him to see the truth. So I feel like he's just pulling from that and using things to manipulate her. So I don't know if we can really trust what he's saying at all. Yeah. Well, I know we talked a little bit about the Jedi and sort of the attachments and things like that, so we won't talk about that too much. But one thing that I really thought was super cool is the comparison between canon and legends and... The micro series that came out in the early 2000s is not canon. However, there is a scene in the first volume of the micro series where Dooku goes to Rat Attack to an arena looking for an assassin. That's where he finds Ventress, and they confirmed that that's what happened. This is canon. That's that's something that is uh, legit now thanks to this book so i'm super excited about that and for everyone out there that is super in love with the legend stories just because it has not been made canon yet doesn't mean it won't ever get made canon just because you know things like this will happen it's just little nods to Mm -hmm. uh you know the pre-disney star wars so um i think that's really cool that they're adding that in there Uh, i love the the red attack arena reference and and uh getting that that's super cool I also loved that, I don't know if you guys got this in the audiobook, Jesse, but the very first page of this book said, For Christopher Lee. Oh, um, no. Yeah, so it was really cool because we got Christopher Lee, obviously, passed away in June of 2015, being not only like one of the most famous like villainous actors in cinema history, but a beloved member of the Star Wars family and uh, you know very well-known actor. So it was it was super cool to to get that. So we did get a couple submissions from members of the book club, and uh, Amanda, we'll start with you. What do we got? All right, this is from Connie. Although this book was about Dooku, I think we got a lot of insight into Ventress. That was equally interesting since she didn't know very much about Dooku and she'd always heard that she was just evil upon evil. You see she had good in her and wrestled with her future destiny and why things happened to her. She was abused and used and I felt sorry for her, especially at the end when she seemed just to give in to the fact that she would end up evil. And Connie also said that uh, she thought that in scene 68, it was most interesting where Dooku sees his future. That was never brought up again in the book or expressed in his journals explicitly. So she's wondering um, if those memories of seeing that was were haunting him. And that he too, like Ventress, felt that his future was already cemented in stone. And that, you know, maybe he had a premonition of being a future Sith and... That's kind of where he went with it. And uh, we see in this book, as we did with the Thrawn books, that disturbing family life early messed with people. And Duke and Ventress were no exception. You felt sorry for them as a product of their horrible early experiences, not able to rise above and recapture the good within themselves. And I think those are all pretty yeah. viable takeaways from the book. We also got some thoughts from Tim, who is new to the book club. He said he's always liked Dooku and knew him as evil but classy. Jedi from Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. This book provides more context on his life, and I must say I came away feeling a bit sad for the Count. He had a tough family life with a father and brother who didn't acknowledge him. His mother's funeral was an emotional disaster for him. Even some of his experience with the Jedi growing up were not positive. All in all, I feel sorry for him. 
Uh, Dooku's interaction with Qui-Gon was interesting. I thought that there might be a stronger storyline between those two. As I noted, as the book wore on, Dooku began to gradually creep more and more into the dark side, even as he interacted with the Jedi and the light. The author showed how Dooku still remained loyal to his sister and friends, even while showing signs of slippage. I like the visuals created with the author's description of the battle scenes. He spared no words in describing the violent nature of the lightsaber battles. <laughs> uh, it's pretty funny, though. And there's one more thing I'm going to say from Tim. But um, it's it's funny how in this book, like, literally, if there's a, a line of dialogue, it'll say, like, Dooku, colon, and then whatever Dooku says. Or, like, if Dooku does something, it'll say, Dooku, you know, jumps out of speeder or whatever. For Jenza and Ramil and all them, like when they when they get stabbed, it'll say like Jenza colon parentheses dies. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's just really funny. It's like okay, they they're dead. Yeah, gone. So that was pretty. See, cool. that was that was a struggle for me. I would have to be like dead, yes, dead, and like wait for the conversation to move further and be yeah. like yes dead yeah. <laughs> yeah all in all the book left me as a big dooku fan still i love the fact that he was awesome even as a padawan in places the book reminded me a little of harry potter in the way that the young jedi learned their craft and got into occasional trouble which i know that we sort of all agreed with that which was pretty cool there was some potter tasticness to it yeah <laughs> definitely which i'm sure you guys are all about being harry potter Heck fans yeah All right. If you guys have additional thoughts on this book or want to participate in upcoming book club book discussions, you can find us on Facebook. Our book club page is TSO Book Club, and we're constantly looking for more members and people to interact with us. We love talking about Star Wars, especially with other fans who are reading the same books that we are. So please join us on the TSO Book Club uh, group on Facebook, and we'd love to talk to you more on there. Amanda, we are about to begin our journey to the rise of Skywalker with three new novels beginning in November with our first novel that comes out on November 5th. What book is it? And the book for November is going to be Resistance Reborn by Rebecca Roanhorse. Sorry if I got that pronunciation wrong, guys. All right, and that book comes out November 5th and... Later on in the month of November, we're also going to be getting The Force Collector, which I believe is November 18th, but that's going to be one of two different books that we're going to be covering in the month of December. So bear with us. We are going to be giving more updates on the books for the book club. So all you got to know is November 5th, Resistance Reborn is going to be coming out, and that's where we're going to be starting our journey to the rise of Skywalker. And then December, we're going to begin with a book that was actually out on Force Friday called Spark of the Resistant, which is a young reader's book. It's pretty short. Shouldn't be too bad. We'll be able to breeze through that. And then we'll continue on with Force Collector in the second half of December uh, leading up to the Rise of Skywalker. So just follow along with the the TSO Book Club page for more information. And uh, if you get confused or unsure what to do, we'll, we'll have updates there. But we've got three books leading up to the Rise of Skywalker. And I think it's going to be really cool to get a little bit more info as we get closer to the final film. So, Jesse, before we go, where can people find us on social media? You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all under the handle at Twin Sons Outpost. 
All right. And if you're interested in listening to any of our other shows, Jesse and I do a podcast called Twin Sons Transmission a couple times every month where we are going to be detailing all the new episodes of Star Wars Resistance as well as a trailer breakdown. We have a new trailer to break down, Jesse, the second and final Mandalorian trailer, which I think will be pretty cool to talk about. Um, I know. Yeah, so pretty excited about that. We just did our second and final trailer discussion for The Rise of Skywalker, that final trailer that we got on Monday Night Football not that long ago. So uh, with new episodes of Resistance coming out and everything as well, I think there's there's always a bunch to talk about. So yeah. stay tuned for that. Before we know it, there's going to be Mandalorian episodes to talk about too. So there's just an abundance of exciting things happening in Star Wars right now. Mandalorian episodes and then Jedi Fallen Order the video game comes out which is a canon story so yeah it's it's gonna be crazy thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the book club podcast where we detailed our discussion on Dooku Jedi Lost by Kevin Scott and we hope you join us next month in the month of November where we begin our journey to the rise of Skywalker book discussion with the book called Resistance Reborn Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you in November, and may the Force be with you. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Twin Suns Podcast Network. May the Force be with you. Hailmaster Tatooine. It's controlled by the hut. Rendezvous point on Halloween. This time you will murder to meet the king.